0: legend, history, memory. Stories form the fabric of life itself. We pull threads to make sense of our perceptions. I'm Tristan Crocker. This is That's Telling. Episode 3, Sister Amy.
1: I have come to Broadway, the Mecca of Sin, the citadel of worldliness. Oh, I feel in answering this invitation as though I should like to stand in the midst of the broadways of America... And lift up my hands and cry, stop!
0: Gladly. That is a recording of Amy Semple McPherson, bringing her dramatic self and message to the streets of New York City from the rarefied air of her church, the Angelus Temple, in downtown Los Angeles. Yet life was not always so grandiose and bombastic for Amy, who began in rural Ontario as the 19th century gave way to the 20th. Her blend of celebrity, theatrical, religious fervor, and the use of radio and photography saw her catapulted and perhaps consumed by the person she created.
1: Good afternoon, Derek Geerloff.
0: Derek Geerloff is president and associate professor of theology at Pacific Life Bible College in Surrey, B.C., which was founded by the Foursquare Church created by Amy Semple McPherson. While he is biased favorably towards her work, his knowledge of her biography is quite thorough.
1: Amy Semple McPherson was born as Amy Kennedy. She lived on a farm near Ingersoll, Ontario. So she is a Canadian. Uh, She was born on October 9th, 1890. And really nothing very special about her. Uh, Her parents were farmers. But one of the interesting things was her mother worked for the Salvation Army. Um, And the Salvation Army, especially back in the uh, late 1800s, early 1920s, as they still do today, were very well known for their work with the poor, uh, work for people with alcohol addictions and different things. And one of the things that we, we really see is that that consciousness seeped into Amy at a very, very young age. In
0: 1908, Amy Kennedy married missionary Robert Semple. They met at a Pentecostal missionary meeting that Amy had traveled to Chicago for. They came to Toronto to the Hebden Mission, run by James and Ellen Hebden.
1: Which was really a center of uh, early Pentecostalism in Canada. And it was there that she received this experience of the spirit, what she would call this uh, speaking in tongues.
0: Amy and her new husband Robert shared the goal of living as gospel missionaries. They left from Toronto for Hong Kong, where they would be preaching. However, things didn't go entirely to plan. Early in the trip, they both contracted malaria. Then, in a nasty turn of events, Robert also contracted dysentery, dying a month before the birth of their daughter, Roberta. Nineteen-year-old Amy found herself a widowed mother alone in Hong Kong.
1: And so she... Uh, really was left alone there and returned to the United States. She went to New York, where her mother had moved, uh, who was and again, helping with the Salvation Army, simply to try to get her life back together again.
0: While working there, she met a young man named Harold Stuart McPherson. The now 20-year-old Amy married Harold.
1: She had told uh, Harold before they were married that that he had to let her preach, that this had to happen, and as the marriage went on, though, Harold really found that to be very difficult. Found it to be difficult, one, to have her gone. Two, found it very difficult to sit second seat to her. And um, and Amy found it very hard to sit down to her traditional homemaker role, so she would go out preaching with her mother. She now had two children. And for a while, he left his job to go with her on the road, but he really had a hard time being with her. And so they separated And in 1921, they were divorced.
0: Amy began traveling from city to city. Between 1916 and 1923, she had traveled coast to coast six times in what was called her gospel car. She preached in more than 100 cities, and by 1919, auditoriums were overflowing for her performances. The press started to take notice.
1: Uh, Her popularity in American culture first hit me personally, when I was reading through a 1944 edition of Life magazine, and it had dedicated several pages to her funeral um, when she had died in uh, 1944. And I think her tomb, I've been there, her her tomb at the Forest Lawn Memorial Gardens in Los Angeles, I believe is still the largest tomb that's there.
0: Derek tells me that the historian Edith Blumhofer noted that Amy Semple McPherson was on the front page of America's biggest newspapers an average of three times a week.
1: So she really became a national figure and a household name on the front pages of every major newspaper or magazine at some point. In 1923, she built what is probably America's first megachurch, Angelus Temple in Los Angeles. It was a church that sat about 5,300 people, but sometimes had crowds of up to 7,100 people. And she would fill these auditoriums multiple times, preaching up to about 22 times a week. So she she was friends. If we give her a, a brief overview, friends with Charlie Chaplin, friends with Anthony Quinn. She was very dramatic. Um, they estimate that in about 1930, between 1934 and 1935, she spoke to more than two million people, about two percent of the U.S. population in person, and more uh, more untold numbers heard her voice from radio.
2: The human voice. I mean, that was you know conveyed over the airwaves.
0: That's Susan Nance. Susan is a historian of entertainment, communication, and live performance in the United States.
2: Radio was weird to a lot of people. It was something kind of creepy and otherworldly about it. So it was perfect for religious stuff, because, <laughs> right? Because religion is kind of mysterious and otherworldly too, right? And people had great emotional response to to what they heard on the radio. And I think the the success of so many of these radio preachers in this period was part of that. Um, and also radio stations carried a much larger distance, I think, than they do today because the radio dial was less crowded. Places like Los Angeles and San Francisco and Chicago and the big cities, you find a very sort of vibrant religious situation where people are trying new things and people founding religions, little storefront churches or, you know, if they can raise the money, um, a larger um, sort of congregation like Amy Semple McPherson had and so it was a very sort of entrepreneurial time, religiously speaking. You often find this is in the periods when the economy is really booming in the U.S., you know, people actually get really religious. It's sort of weird. Um, these things seem to go hand in hand. And so in the 1920s, you find it in the 1950s, 1980s.
0: In certain booming periods, America seems to adopt a public religious facade. As Susan tells me, the white picket-fenced 50s saw the addition of In God We Trust on the American currency. Of all things, the '80s saw the more notorious and, in my view, devilish phenomenon—that was the Doomsday televangelist.
2: So, in the so the '20s are kind of the roots of that because the religious community really, really, really uh, made great use of—I mean, supposedly—to support tradition and conservative, you know, values and everything. But they made great use of the radio, which was this sort of new technology that really was radically changing things. And uh, I think that's how. so. she managed to get, you know, a lot of publicity from that in, in her own way. And she did that, you know, FDR, the president would do that in the 1930s. So, you know, she knew how to do that in the 1920s, a decade earlier. In
1: 1926, um, Amy disappeared for a period of about five weeks. She was swimming at Venice Beach. She was there with her secretary and it disappeared. And so, she was presumed to be drowned. Um, and, uh, but what happened again, about five weeks later, she reappeared in the Mexican desert, right near the California Mexican desert, claiming to have been kidnapped. And it, it didn't take long for allegations to appear that she had actually had an affair with her radio station's married engineer. Um, So she was saying that she was kidnapped, and then we had the press and and other people beginning to argue that she had had an affair. And you need to recognize a little bit of the stir this caused. Um, That she had died had been news enough. Thousands of mourners came to Los Angeles, combing the beaches and the water for her body. In fact, they estimate 25,000 people came to Ocean Park Beach on Memorial Day. Uh, Even when she returned from the desert uh, on the train to the Los Angeles station, um, they estimate 30 to 50,000 people greeted her at the L.A. train station. So that's more than President Woodrow Wilson had had when he arrived in Los Angeles. So this, this really became a big, big event. And when she comes out of the desert... Uh, five weeks later, raised from the dead, we might say, the story went into hyperdrive.
2: She disappeared and then came back. I mean, that was just quintessentially of the 1920s, right? She's making a ton of money off her congregation. And then, you know, there's a scandal of some kind. And a lot of people say, oh, God, okay, she's a fraud. But then she has other people who say, no, she's she's the real deal. And, she, you know, she has this sort of celebrity that sustains her. So it's like everything all rolled into one. Plus, you know, tapping into that really innovative and uh, interesting religious scene in Los Angeles in the 20s.
1: So to put this into context, in 1926, Angeles Temple had been built. Uh, She was on the radio full time. Um, In fact, uh, Harper Magazine had Written to this, uh, that in this show-devouring city, so Los Angeles, the Hollywood city, no entertainment compares in popularity with that of Angelus Temple. She was a, a show person, she was very dramatic.
0: For her Sunday night services, she employed electricians and actors, constructed set pieces. I'm told she would act out biblical scenes with live camels.
1: She would... Ride a motorcycle on stage dressed as a as a police officer and tell people stop, you're going to hell. And this came as a result, she said, of having been stopped by a police officer. The idea came, and so it really became a story because she, of her her being so famous. This really became a story that was played out in the press and uh, and the Los Angeles press at the time in some t- in some ways was mercil- uh, merciless um, had no mercy on her. And Amy, of course, had her own radio station. So whenever allegations would come out in the stays in the uh, newspaper, she would respond over the radio. So it really became a very, very public event.
0: The Los Angeles district attorney decided to investigate the kidnapping. Amy and her mother were arrested on charges of corruption and fraud. They believed she had fabricated the story and was in fact covering up an affair with her married radio manager. The national press covered the story daily until the charges were dropped, in part because of some confusion as to the timeline.
1: Uh, he, the timeline worked, so he had been gone for 10 days while Amy was gone, but that didn't account for the three weeks following it. And he later said that he had been with a nurse from Seattle and, and actually gave uh, her name, uh, that he had been having an affair, but that it was with somebody else. So eventually all the charges are dropped, but her reputation certainly took a hit.
2: In the 1920s, there was an enormous amount of hypocrisy going on, people thought. I mean, it's always present, but in the 20s, it seemed like it was just really a cultural phenomenon that people were talking about, and um, McPherson seemed to represent that too.
0: At this time, people and their organizations grew by capitalizing on the spending power of citizens, often rigged with credit. And inherently unsustainable.
2: And they portrayed themselves as, you know, uh, larger than life, more um, religious, more successful, more efficient, more whatever, you know, their thing was they were selling, whether it was like business management techniques or, you know, secrets to personal success or. How to, you know, how to find God, whatever it was. And um, a number of these cases, there was very high-profile pub- cases of these people being found out to be not quite what they said they were in some ways.
1: At the same time, her popularity, I would say both positively and negatively only grew, and so did her ministry at Angelus Temple.
0: On one hand, the threat of kidnapping wasn't entirely implausible. There had previously been bomb threats on the temple, as well as threats to McPherson's life. In September 1925, police had foiled a kidnapping and ransom plot, so the idea was in the air.
1: There's evidence, I think, that Amy was often lonely and, and often had a hard time with relationships with people close to her. So the evidence, at the end of the day, really is ambiguous either way. And I think in some sense what happened during her disappearance remains a mystery.
2: The 1920s is also a period when we think about um, celebrity being really uh, important. Cinema had kind of sort of started to really happen in the 1910s. And in the 1920s, um, people really started to understand the concept of a movie star. So somebody who's a celebrity and citizens all over the place who will never meet that person, nonetheless, have an emotional feeling towards them, love them. And it's very intense. And they feel like, oh, I really know this person, you know. Uh, and that's very common today, but it was, but that really required a combination of, you know, r- the moving image, I think, and then radio and all the very many, many, many cheap magazines and stuff that were out there. So Amy uh, McPherson managed to really capitalize on that because she made herself a star. I mean, she was a religious leader, but also a celebrity. Uh, in the kind of sense that Babe Ruth was, or Lindbergh, the guy who flew planes all over the place, or um, Rudolph Valentino, very famous movie star, or many, many people did this in this period. So she was one of them.
0: She became only the third person in Los Angeles to gain a radio license.
1: Sometimes when I I think of the movie uh, L.A. Confidential, and you and you realize the the Hollywoodness of Hollywood at that time, you have. Um, Amy, who is this this um, as, as popular as any actress or actor that's out on the stage? Although she's not doing it in movies, she's doing it in her church. Uh, it's you have the media aspect of it. You do have mafia. You have all these different things that are in Los Angeles in the 1920s and the 1930s. And so it really is almost a, a perfect storm. And, and she really fit that storm. She fit that storm. She fit that place of Los Angeles. It, it worked for her. It allowed her to become popular and to spread her message. And yet at the same time, it had all the, all the undercurrents and the trappings,
0: I think. If you look now at the promotional photos used, they seem staged and unconvincing. But that might give some insight into who her audience might have been as well as the fact that nothing's really changed.
2: If you look at a lot of the photographs that appeared in the magazines promoting the movie business in the 10s and 20s, and in the advertising, you know, some of these, these actresses and actors were getting, you know, promotional deals where they would, you know, promote a soap or a cosmetic or whatever it was, you know, you see a lot of the same kinds of imagery. Mm -hmm. When the followers will have looked at that, they will have seen something than you, different than you and I do now, and certainly something different than, you know, the critics of her would have seen, right? It's, it's one of the, it's that phenomenon, you know, where, I mean, we still have it today, right? I mean, Trump's, President Trump's supporters, you know, he tells a bald-faced lie, and they say, he's telling the truth, he's a man of his word, and the critics of Trump are saying, oh my God, he just lied. <laughs> You know, if like two people look at the exact same thing and they see something completely different, right?
0: To me, Amy Simple McPherson symbolizes a uniquely North American phenomenon. A combination of entertainment, status, self-betterment, money, lies. But underneath that is a sort of bombastic optimism. Someone who thinks you're in on it with them. Or so it might seem.
2: Orson Welles also, oh, you mentioned War of the Worlds. What happened in that case just showed like how, how likely people were to believe what they heard on the radio, just because they weren't used to it yet. In the same way that in the early days of the internet, people believed anything they found online. And now we know that you can't do that.
0: <laughs> Despite all of the media, the money, and the controversies, perhaps one of the strangest things about McPherson is that amidst a hurricane of seemingly insincere proselytizing, whatever her reasons, through her social work, she had an effect on the lives of people in Los Angeles.
1: The actor Anthony Quinn, who attended Angeles Temple, in fact, he used to translate for her, told an interviewer this. He said, during the Depression, the one human being that never asked you what your nationality was, what you believe in, and so forth, was Amy Semple McPherson. All you had to do was pick up the phone and say, I'm hungry, and within an hour, there would be a food basket there for you.
0: Amy Semple McPherson died on September 27, 1944, at the age of 53 in Oakland, California. While the cause of death is officially listed as unknown, it's believed to be an accidental drug overdose.
1: I am coming out to help bring you back, if I can, to the fold. Give me a burden for souls, Lord. Give me a love for the lost
0: that's telling was written and created by tristan crocker that's me all of the original music heard throughout the show is by paul crocker If you live in or around the Guelph, Ontario area, that selling can now be heard every Wednesday at 2 on CFRU 93.3 FM.